0: So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to go over verses 13 through 15. I'm starting again with verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. May God bless the reading of his word. So, so far in First John, we've had a lot of discussion about ethics. We've had a lot of discussion about lifestyle and about love. And for the last chapter and a half, John has really focused on that aspect of love, of being loved by God through Jesus Christ, his son. And now John comes to the end of the letter. And it's with this that we begin with verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So again, John now begins to close his letter. We see this as he begins to summarize many of the major themes he's addressed. This is why we notice, especially when he says, I write these things to you. This phrase reminds us of everything that he has said previously. Um, The things he has already written to us, the things which he has admonished and encouraged to understand the love of God through his Son, Jesus Christ, and to demonstrate the love of God is the reason for his writing. Yet we notice that this is not for everyone either. In particular, this is written for those who believe in the name of the Son of God to those who are continuing to believe in the Son of God. This is an encouragement to those who may be under duress from all sides. Though they may have many enemies and struggles, the ones who do believe will receive all that has been said from the previous chapter to this point concerning the love of God. As we have noticed before, however, it is not a belief in anyone or anything, but in particular the name of the Son of God. We remember how confession of Jesus Christ is the Son of God is the highest confession we can make. And because of that, all other aspects of Jesus' ministry fall into place. What he taught concerning doctrines, ethics, and relationally. It will not be a faith which leads to nothing then, but leads to a transformed life under Christ. While it is true This belief will cause one to receive the love of God reserved for his son, Jesus Christ. It also leads to something else, and that is eternal life. This is logical. Since Jesus is the eternal life, thus to have Jesus is to also have eternal life. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. John now turns into a slightly different direction. Believing in the Son of God and knowing that one has eternal life will have repercussions in this life, as we have seen. John now focuses on one of those repercussions by recognizing that those who do have eternal life through Jesus Christ also have confidence. Though it could also mean assurance, and some even recognize boldness. However, the confidence does not focus on the past, instead it looks forward. The confidence is one that we have toward him, who is God. But that leaves us with a further question. Does this simply mean confidence before God? John has already hit on such a confidence previously in the letter. And while that confidence is not in any way abandoned, the focus here is on what follows, and that's prayer. Our confidence toward him is that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Prayer is a central aspect of the Christian religion. Jesus himself taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Likewise, in the the epistles, we are encouraged to continue to pray, to intercede for others in situations, and to go to God with requests and petitions. Ultimately, That God himself would hear us should give us great peace and encouragement. All too often we take prayer for granted, not realizing the communion which we have through our prayers to God. Likewise, it can be easy to forget that when we do pray, we pray to the God of the universe, who created all things by the power of his word, that he hears us, reminds us of his imminence, and it reminds us of his great love for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. The confidence we have concerning our prayer leads to knowledge. In this particular verse, the knowledge recognizes God hears us in whatever we ask. This reminds us that Christian faith is not something which is unknown, nor is God unknown, but that we can know Him, know things about Him, and know that when we are called to believe, and what we are called to believe, it is true. Because we do confess Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and because we have attained eternal life through Jesus Christ, we can go to God with our prayers, and we can know that we are not going to be ignored. But that God is there, and He hears us when we pray to Him. Likewise, we can have assurance in Him concerning our requests. We can have this assurance because of the God in whom we give our requests to. It is not a matter of us having the requests themselves because of their own right. That is not just that we have requests and therefore pray, that is. But more so because we know of the God we know. And because of that, we know that he who has given us life through Jesus Christ, his Son, will hear those who have that life. So the main point of these verses are to be transitional. They're to have us look back on what has been said previously, while at the same time beginning the concluding remarks of the letter. In particular, there's a focus on having faith in in Christ, the Son of God, and what that entails for the believer. That they have attained the love of God and eternal life, which were the two focuses previously in the letter. This then leads to repercussions for the Christian, that they can find assurance in going to God with prayers and petitions, knowing that God hears them when they do. Alrighty, so this leads to the application points. And the first one is is going to be prayer. In the above section, we notice John focused a great deal on prayer. Prayer, as was said previously, is integral to the Christian faith. It reminds us of the life we have been given, and the love we have from the Father through the Son. That though we were once in sin, God considers us His children through Jesus, and as our Father, we can go to Him with our prayers. Yet there are a number of things to consider. For example, John says that we can know that He, God, hears us in anything we ask. Not only is this the case, but it also, we read, that we have all the requests we have asked of him. Now, here's a problem. How many of you have asked God for something and then in the end did not receive what it was you were asking for? Anyone? I know, some of you are thinking, I wanted that puppy. And you didn't get it. Now, how many here have asked God for something, whether it was miraculous or not? And God did not answer that prayer. Anyone, show of I think we. I know, I know. I, I did that for purposeful reasons. Thanks, Mike. I think we have. I think we have all had that happen to us, though. We've all prayed prayers that seem to go unanswered. So how is it that John can say that we have all of our requests? We ask God if. We can all think of requests that have gone unanswered, or requests which we have not received once asked. In order to answer this, we have to consider what it means when John says these things. And there are a few different ways to view it. The first is faith-based. Those of us who have more faith will receive more answers because of our faith. That's the first view of this. So those who have more faith will receive more affirmative answers because of their faith. In some ways, one can understand this. When we think of individuals, for example, in third world countries who are converted to the faith, their need is very great. The majority of them cannot go to the pharmacy to get medication when sick, nor can they simply go to the grocery store when they are hungry. One could argue that they have a greater faith in trusting God to provide for them with their daily needs because otherwise there will be no provision at all. And because of this, God does provide. Now, I think that there is some truth to this, but it seems a separate issue than the one we're dealing with now. The reason why this seems to be a different issue is because we have seen throughout salvation history those whose faith is very strong and yet do not receive what it is they're asking for. And now we're going to consider a few. Um, The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sins. But if not, please blot me out of the book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon him. Them, Then the Lord sent a plague on the people, because they made the calf, the one Aaron had made. Now again, Moses uh, later on in Deuteronomy. And I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there, in heaven or on earth, who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please, let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon but the lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me and the lord said to me enough from you do not speak to me of this matter again go up to the top of pisgah and lift your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at what look at it with your eyes for you shall not go over this jordan but charge joshua and encourage and strengthen him for he shall go over and head at the head of this people. And he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. So we remained in the valley opposite of Beth Peor. Now let's consider David. And the Lord afflicted the child of that Uriah's wife bore to David and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of this house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw this, that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Jeremiah, he's told the following, As for you, do not pray for this people, or lift up a cry, or pray for them. And do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood the fire fathers kindle fire and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven and they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger is it i whom they pro- is it i whom they provoke declares the lord is it not themselves to their own shame therefore Thus says the Lord God, behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place upon man and beast, upon the trees of the field and the fruit of the ground. It will burn and not be quenched. Let's jump ahead to the New Testament. It's getting fun, isn't it? Paul. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now let's consider one more, Jesus himself. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time he went and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. So what do we see? What do we see from these passages? We see men of great faith praying to God for something to which God does not answer their requests. Because of this, it seems unlikely that what John is saying here means that if we just have enough faith then we will be granted any request we want. Nor does it seem that the requests we ask for are anything per se. Instead, consider what John says when discussing our confidence. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Thus the focus is on God's will. When we pray, we are to seek first and foremost the will of God in our situation in our petition, and in our requests. This is reminiscent of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus himself says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Notice what we first desire is that the will of God be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Now tell me, if we are praying with the hope and intention that whatever we pray, that in the end, the will of God will be done, then will our prayers ever go unanswered? Think about it. If we are praying that God's will be done in the circumstance, will there ever be a request which is not fulfilled? One could argue, no, no, we would, we would not, because in the end, God's will will be done. Some might say that this then diminishes our prayers. If in the end God's will be done, why bother to pray? Well, consider all that which we went over previously. Consider Jesus' own prayer in the garden. Did that prayer and the response from his Father diminish the relationship between the Father and the Son at all? Of course not. If anything, it reminds us that the ability to pray itself, to go to God, to commune with God, as Jesus did in the garden, shows the significance of the end goal of faith, which is that we should no longer see through a mirror darkly, but face to face. Likewise, it is similar to our own relationships with our children. Our children will ask us of many things. My children ask for jelly beans. They ask for cookies, snacks, drinks. All of their requests fall underneath my will. Whether I choose to get them the snacks they request or their drinks, etc., does the fact that it falls under my will undermine the relationship I have with my children? That they can come to me and request these things? Of course not. If anything, being able to communicate with them And them coming to me with the request reminds us of the relationship I have with my children, that they can come talk to me and ask me for things, even if I do say no. The relational status we now have through Jesus Christ then is what we're seeing within our petitions and prayer requests. We go to God knowing that he is fully in control of every situation we are in. We go knowing, believing, praying that His will be done in any circumstance. We pray knowing that any and all requests we make to God can be answered as we may desire. Otherwise, such requests would be meaningless. But at the same time, we pray knowing that His will be done in those circumstances. Prayer is so important because God wants us to pray to Him. He wants us to go to Him because of the relational status we now have through Christ. Just as God the Father heard the prayers of the Son in the garden, He hears us too. We can have full confidence that God is hearing us, that He knows our situations, and He knows our hearts, our passions, our desires, and we can know that He hears us when we pray. This is truly spectacular to consider. It reminds us how significant this relationship is. That we come as children before our Father in heaven. And we know our Father, we know that His will is always what is best for us in any given circumstance. It is because Paul knew God, he could accept the conclusion that God's grace is sufficient. He could accept that because he had experienced that grace himself. In all honesty, all of this gives me great assurance and hope. If God's will can be done in this world, then it gives me hope to pray in his will, knowing that he is able, that he can transform these situations, and that if he doesn't, we still gain. Why? Because in the end, regardless of the end result, we have a loving, caring, infinite, and intimate God who hears us. No matter what Having a relationship with this God is far greater than any request we could make. And it puts all of our requests in perspective, knowing that this relationship is ours. So, how can we not have hope knowing this? So, in this, have hope in the God who hears us, have faith, have strength even when it is hard to go to God, to keep going, keep remembering the relationship you now have through Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing to be able to go to God and speak to Him as our Father. Never forget this great blessing, the blessing we have received through Jesus Christ. Now this one's going to be a brief note um, about assurance. We have already discussed the assurance we have in our prayer. And we notice that this assurance in prayer leads us to true knowledge of God. Yet that is not the only assurance, nor the only knowledge which John has us consider in the section of his letter. What we also find is assurance of our salvation. This assurance for salvation is something which is not often talked about. In some groups of Christianity, it is actually impossible to be assured of your faith. Roman Catholicism, for example, recognizes that it is not only impossible to find assurance, but that it is presumptuous. When we look outside of the Christian religion, we find the same kind of understanding in, let's say, Islam. That it is not possible to have assurance of your salvation. Yet these two groups have something in common, and that is their belief in the necessity of works for salvation. What we learn in John, however, is that our assurances are not based upon our ability to do, but in what Christ has done. We see this clearly when John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. It is belief in the Son of God, a confession of who Jesus is as the Son of God, that gives us our assurance and lets us know that we have received eternal life. Therefore, this assurance is not an assurance of simply having faith or simply having a profession of faith. Instead, it is a recognition of the greatest teaching of Jesus Christ, which, if believed, will trickle down to all the other teachings. So we will believe in the doctrines of Jesus. We will seek to live in an ethical and moral lifestyle God has called us to. And we will love God and each other as God has called us to love. Thus, true biblical assurance is founded on Jesus Christ. It is founded on the continuing edification, sanctification of our hearts when we rely on Jesus Christ for our justification and our righteousness. In this way, we have assurance, not in ourselves, but in Christ. That is the true hope for all of us. We all know ourselves well enough to recognize none of us can reach the glory of God on our own. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. It is only through the bloody sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that we are able to be cleansed of our sins and find that righteousness. Therefore, seek assurance in Jesus Christ. Seek your assurance, not in a mere profession of faith at one point in time, but a continual belief in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and all that it entails. A life seeking the glory of God, of failing, being picked back up onto the solid rock who is Jesus Christ. Remembering, That though we fall into sin and though we struggle in the darkness, the blood of Christ cleanses us of our sins. And though we fail, he intercedes on us on our behalf if we believe. So continue to have faith and continue to rely on the strength of Jesus Christ to pull you through. He will do so. And in him we will continue to find our assurances. And through these assurances we will know our salvation and know the life which is inside of us. Now, as we have seen, the gospel of Jesus Christ is where we find our assurances. It is because of the gospel we receive the love of God and attain eternal life through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is through Him we have assurance to know God hears us and He loves us, that He is our Father in Heaven who cares for us and He knows us. The endless graces of our God are found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is worthy of all praise. And this gospel begins with our origins. That we were crea- that God created the cosmos according to the power of his word. And last of all, he created humanity to bear his image. Because God is a God of love, reason, knows, can be known, has personhood, is moral, and displays Hesed, we can as well. It is because of this we find dignity, sanctity, and worth to human life. But like God... We are also able to choose. We could either choose to follow God in obedience into life or disobedience into sin and death. We chose the latter and have continued to make that choice ever since. Because of this, our relationships with God, ourselves, each other, and the world are broken. And because of this, of this sin we have, we have a moral guilt before our God and not just a feeling of guilt or dread, but true guilt before a righteous judge. Thankfully, God did not leave us in this place of darkness forever. Instead, he sent his light and spoke his word into our darkness. And that is Jesus Christ. Jesus, who lived, died, and rose again in time, space, history, and flesh. It is by his blood we are cleansed from our sins. We are redeemed through his sacrifice on the cross. And our relationship begins to be restored through him. His victory in life over death becomes our victory in life and over death. All that is required of us is obedience in two things. The first is repentance. We are to live lifestyles of repentance away from sin and toward God. We are to live our lives for the glory of God. We can know what glorifies God through the life of Christ, the revelation of the Scriptures, and by walking in step with the Spirit who indwells all believers. The second is faith in Christ. We are to recognize our complete and total dependence upon the Son of God for our salvation. It is not what we do, but what Christ has done which saves us from judgment we deserve because of our sin. We are to recognize that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, by the scriptures alone. (laughs) For those who are disobedient in these things, they remain in condemnation for their sins. Those who do not confess their sins as sins and continue to live a lifestyle of sin instead of repentance will remain in darkness. Their deeds, even their most righteous acts, are as filthy rags before God. Therefore, without an advocate on their behalf, they will experience the judgment of God for their sins and will not inherit eternal life. Yet there is hope. For though we are all in this state prior to conversion... We can be sure that God has made a way through Jesus Christ. For those who are obedient in these things, there is no longer condemnation but love. Those who are in Christ experience the love of the Father that is reserved only for His Son. They become God's children. In this life, they can have victory over sin by the power of the Spirit within them, and in the next life, they inherit an eternal kingdom, eternal life, where they will experience the peace of God forevermore. My hope is that we would remember the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That we would have assurance in going to God our Father, knowing He hears us. Remember the relationship you now have if you confess Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Know the life you have received through Jesus Christ and know that God is with us in all things. Seek out His will above all and continue to be persevered in the relationship we now have with our God through Christ. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you have done through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the life we now have. We thank you for the love that you now give us. And Lord, as we live this life, and as the darkness comes around us, we know that your light will always be able to extinguish the darkness. And it's with this hope that we seek out your will. It is with this knowledge of knowing you, knowing your goodness, knowing just how wonderful you are in all ways, in all things, that we know that your will is what is best for us. So, Lord, please persevere us. Please continue to have us to seek out this one thing, your will, above all else. We thank you. We thank you that we are able to do so through your Son, Jesus Christ. Keep us, Lord, and give us strength. In your son's name we pray. Amen.